Good morning, and welcome to episode 665 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh. How are you, Ben? You said daily with such relish. Yes, I uh, I did. I also said play index, which I'm <laughs> mid I'm mid play index right now. Right now, as we're oh, speaking, I was I was in the middle of it when you rang, and I haven't finished. It's a simple one, but I am looking to see how many players have hit 184 or more home runs from ages 36 to 40, and the answer is one. Uh huh. Is this is this an A Rod related query? So yeah, I mean it is, but I'm afraid to. Yeah, it is. Why do you say that? I'm just just guessing. I know that you have a lot at stake. You have a personal stake in A-Rod's success. I do. So A-Rod, this is, I'm going to change the subject to a slightly different A-Rod query uh, for a second. But we talked about how A-Rod had, in order to set the record, he needed to hit more home runs from whatever age he is now onward than any, any player in history, even more than Bonds did. I think that's what you said, yeah, last time we talked to Andy McCullough, with whom yeah. you have a $1 bet about A-Rod breaking the... A $30. The, a $30. Oh, $30. oh right, yeah, okay. sure. Depends on how you... Uh, it, from my end, it's a $1 bet. From his, it's a $30 bet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I found that... I, I, I mean, I was optimistic, though, because even though he had... Uh, nobody had done what he had done, even Bonds, some lesser players had come extremely close, like Daryl Evans and Carlton Fisk. Uh-huh. And... Um, I don't know. It's it's not going to be long. So he let's see. He now needs he now needs a hundred and four. What does he need? Six six uh, seven sixty three. Yeah, right? he's at six fifty nine. So he needs a hundred and four, and um, that now puts him. Uh, granted, a little bit of this year's has passed, mm-hmm. so uh, he's got an advantage. But uh, Bonds hit a hundred and four from age ages thirty nine onward. Uh-huh. Uh, so if you still count A-Rod as 39 onward, he now only has to match Bonds. That's all. That's all. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, I mean, even Bonds, though, like, he 39 onward for Bonds. Let me, put, let me put this in perspective. 39 onward for Bonds. Yeah, okay, we know Bonds is the greatest late career hitter in history. But, A, he was getting walked 200 times a year. True. But he missed an entire season. With injury, mm. and he didn't play that long. He retired at forty-two, or he was retired at forty-two. Right. So that's only, you know, that like there's a guy. I mean, he had let's see, so he had eleven hundred at bats from thirty-nine on, and I imagine that there are lots of hitters. I would expect A Rod, for instance, to get more than eleven hundred at bats. Of course, he hit a home run every ten plate appearances, but you know, Bonds is sort of also a person who. I don't know, maybe if you stretch, you can say helps the case. Because, you know, Bonds hit 104 despite basically having half, roughly half, of his plate appearances taken from him, either by injury or by intentional walk or semi-intentional walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, like, let's just see, 1,104 at-bats is how many Bonds had. So I'm going to see if Bonds is unusual for that. Yeah, I mean, Bonds is only 31st all-time in at-bats. If A-Rod get, I mean, Pete, well, Pete Rose is a bad example. Pete Rose got 3,200 at-bats. <laughs> Pete Rose got as many at-bats from 39 on as Russell Brandian in his career. Ugh, that's a shame. Don't remind me. But, like, uh, you know, Omar Vizquel hung on for 2,200, and Dave Winfield, 2,100, and 
and Yastrzemski 2000 and Rice 2300 and uh, Molitor 1700 and Biggio 1700. So a Banya 1600. So you know if if A Rod homered every 20 at bats, he would only need 2000 basically at bats. And uh, you know a number of guys have done that. Mm-hmm. Is it consi- is, is every twenty every twenty is a lot though? He doesn't homer every twenty times. He didn't homer every twenty times when he was thirty six or thirty seven either. He, uh, he did when he was t- thirty four, but not when he was thirty five or thirty six. He hasn't homered every twenty at bats in a while. So that's all. Awesome. Walking a whole lot all of a sudden too. Well, then we're now see now you just now you're stepping on our topic. Of that. <laughs> oh, okay. This is a rod banter. Oh. The, to- the topic for the show is a rod. Oh really. Uh, wow. Right now we're just bantering. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize we don't plan these things. Yeah. So uh, I have non-Arod banter. Yeah, go ahead. Well, so, me- so it seems like the pitcher DH drumbeat is building all of a sudden, doesn't it? We we talked about so it last week for no particular reason. Yeah. Got- well, Adam Wainwright is out yeah. probably yeah. for the season. Uh, he. Seems to have torn his Achilles on his way out of the batter's box. And as someone, I tweeted something earlier, someone said, well, he could have done the same thing covering first or, you know, which is true. Certainly there are other ways the pitchers could get hurt, but having them hit and having them run the bases increases the risk somewhat. And so uh, Max Scherzer made some comments about this. He is all, he is pro, pro DH, um, He's basically, you know, using the argument that pitchers are terrible at hitting, which is what we've been talking about. I think they were down to negative 39 weighted runs created plus yesterday when I was looking. Um, And so Scherzer said people want to see Victor Martinez hit. They don't want to see me hit. Maybe he just wants to get out of hitting for the rest of his contract. I don't know. But he wrote that. Craig Calcaterra wrote that. Lots of people were tweeting things related to Wainwright. And someone responded to my tweet and said that he doesn't care how bad pitchers get at hitting, that he still finds the strategy rewarding and worth it. And that's a a valid opinion to have, I guess. I don't share it. Do you have any sentiment like that? Like the decision about whether to pinch hit or whether the manager is going to pinch hit, speculating about that, debating whether he should have, is that... Something that you would not be willing to lose? No. The, I, I find that the, the decision about whether to pinch it for a pitcher or whether to call for a pitcher to get a bunt or whatever, uh, that to me is generally not that interesting. There are a handful of cases a year where you have to make a decision, but you have to make decisions all the time. Like It's not like adding 30 decisions to the Major League season uh, gives it a much richer topography or anything like that. So you have to make some decisions, whatever. That's what you do all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that the uh, where I do find that it changes the strategy, and I will say without thinking that much about it that I think it changes the strategy slightly for the better, although I'm not, I don't know, maybe I could be convinced I haven't thought that much about it. But I do think that if you are facing a lineup with a pitcher, uh, it does definitely add an element of uh, consideration to know that the that the lineup is... Um, like not nearly as flat as it is in the AL, to know that there is this position looming that is worthless uh, affects things for both the offense and the defense. Uh, I do think that there's something particularly somewhat interesting about an eighth place hitter batting um, with you know in a possible run scoring situation. 
uh, that you lose. Um, and to me, it's just like uh, to, ha- to have the pitcher is kind of like having weather um, mm-hmm. where like in California, we have beautiful weather all year round, but eventually everybody complains that there's no weather. It's mm-hmm. all the same. It's year in, year out uh, or month in, month out. And, you know, when, when it's negative uh, 14 in Manhattan, you guys are all complaining with good reason because ne- negative 14 is the pitcher hitting of weather. It's horrible. <laughs> and yet it is something that I think a lot of people miss when they come to California. And that's sort of how lineups feel to me in the AL. It's just like, you know, it just becomes this loop. It's like a gif that runs constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to me, pitcher's batting is like a gif constantly running except – Every nine batters, the raptor on rollerblades falls and his <laughs> tail flops down. Yeah. Like the pitcher is the tail flop. It is the moment of ecstasy where the tail flops. 700 people who have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so everyone who's read John Boyce's gift brackets. So you mean when the pitcher gets a hit, it's worth. It's so exciting that it's worth no, all of the no, no, not getting no. a hit? No, just having him there. Like just having the lineup having the nature of it change having to know that there is a there is a, a there winter's coming just to know that that is coming uh, it makes it interesting to me to you know once you get down to the bottom of the lineup it changes the nature of the at bats uh, in a way that each inning doesn't feel completely replaceable with each other inning but it's uh, so deflating when you get a two out rally and the pitcher comes up it's just it's like you built the whole rally for nothing i know but the game does not exist to avoid deflation I mean, there are moments of deflation constantly throughout the game. Yes, it is deflating. It does suck. It it also sucks when you know the you know when when you get the bases loaded and the cleanup hitter grounds into a double play. I'm not going to outlaw cleanup hitters grounding into double plays. Yeah, but there's a chance. It, it's still it, a rally. The pitcher comes up and it's like the rally's over before it's officially over. Well, oh, if it was a one in forty chance that he gets a hit, then that would be true. But there's actually your chances of getting a hit when the pitcher's up in that situation are you know better than certainly better than hitting trips on the river. I mean, it's not that bad of odds. They do, you do have to figure out a way to get that guy out. He certainly does a better job hitting than you and I would. And um, I, I don't find it to be too, too predetermined an outcome at this point in time. I'm not, I mean, you know, look, I don't, I, I, don't, I don't have a strong opinion. I, my only opinion is to not have a hot take on this. But, you know, get, I probably, if I, if I had a choice, I would rather have a DH. Mm-hmm. Okay. By the way, I will never, you'll Wait. never catch me complaining Sorry. about weather in the Northeast. I live in an oh, apartment, so I don't have to shovel. And I say, bring on the precipitation. What were I you going to add? I misspoke. I misspoke. What, what did you say? I said, if I had, I, I said I would have a DH. I would ha- have not have a DH. Is what oh, really? Yes. That changes everything. <laughs> but not so strong. Whatever. Huh. Okay. I do like, though, I like watching pitchers hit as a person who makes content. <laughs> yeah, sure. I mean, I, how many how many pieces have I written about pitchers hitting? <laughs> a solid. Sure. Well, let's see. I wrote about I wrote about the Mets going hitless last year, mm-hmm. uh, early in the season. I wrote about the Padres going hitless for their first forty five or whatever at bats of two thousand twelve. That was a piece that I liked a lot. That was a yeah. good one that would have existed. Yeah. I wrote about whether Bartolo Colon ever touches first base, mm-hmm. uh, or what always feels off. Something about. How pitchers pitch to pitchers? Was that something I, you wrote? I did. Yeah. I've written about pitchers pitching to pitchers. Uh, mm-hmm. Matt Harvey pitching to pitchers. Mm-hmm. I wrote about, was it Ross Detweiler who had the most extreme spray chart in the game? Mm. Do you remember that one? That was a good one. He only, yeah. every ball he'd ever hit out of the infield 
had been directly to the right fielder. Every right. single one. He had never managed to pull a ball or even go at the middle. They and so I was, I was proposing like uh, that everybody just stand there. And let's see. I I mean oh I well the pitchers retaliating against pitchers one is about pitchers hitting. Mm-hmm. I wrote about Ian Kennedy and when he had a better walk rate than Albert Pujols. <laughs> okay, so you're saying that your career will be over if there's a DH in the NL essentially. Yeah, I, I I like I like writing about pitchers hitting. So that's another thing. I don't I don't find it to be a I don't know I, I don't find it to be a creatively void thing. Like I know that it's I know that they're not good, but neither is Zach Cozart. And like I don't have a problem with with Zach Cozart. Like I, it's just it's part of the game. Now I also don't care the other way. It like it's fine too. Like DHs are cool. They're, they're fine. They mm-hmm. hit. Yes. Right. They're also fine. I mean, especially the problem is that if if DHs were more interesting as a group, uh, like if if the if the dream that they had long ago that DHs were all these like enormous fat guys who like could not play the field <laughs> at all, like if it was all just Eddie Martinez Esteva just mm-hmm. like in the majors at every at every on every team, that would be fun to me. But it's there are very few of those guys. There are very few. I mean, Billy Butler is like basically the one thing and then ortiz ortiz would play first in any if there was no dh he'd be playing it's not like we're getting david ortiz where we otherwise wouldn't get david ortiz and uh, but anyway the, nobody nobody uses the dh that way anymore so it's not to me it's not entertaining it i'm just saying it's not entertaining for me to see ryan rayburn dhing or to see like james loney dhing because it's his day off from the field like that isn't that interesting to me it doesn't add anything to see those guys um, and it does add a little bit pitching. Anyway, though, everybody else has good opinions too. Your all your opinions are super good. <laughs> okay. And finally, we since we've been reassessing points to the Royals over and over, we have to assess points because we found out since the last show that Matt Albers was injured during yeah. last Thursday's brawl with the Royals. He hurt his finger punching someone or being punched or at some point in the altercation. So. The Royals have now taken out Matt Albers. It wasn't personal before, but now it mm. now it feels that way. Yeah, I do like Matt Albers. Yeah. All right. So A Rod, back to A Rod. No, is there no video of him? I haven't punching. seen any any Zapruder style breakdown of how Matt Albers got hurt, but I haven't. Maybe that's the thing that I should do. Mm. All right. So back to A Rod. Okay. Uh, Alex Rodriguez. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good at baseball again. Homered again. Uh, so, what? Homered again. Homered again, yeah. Homered again. Uh, five homers this year. Leads the majors in that cat. No, he doesn't. That's not true. Other people, Mark Teixeira has more. Other people, I'm sure, do too. Nelson uh, Cruz has more. Nelson Cruz has more. But he's doing well. And I wanted to talk about two things that were written about Alex Rodriguez recently and about his season this year. Because both of those details were interesting, and they're both they both give a nice uh, way to talk about Arod. Um, so one of them was at BP Bronx, which is Baseball Prospectus's local site for Yankees coverage. Some of you who are listening, I just realized, uh, are not subscribers and thus don't know that we have a BP Bronx recently started. BP Bronx, BP Boston, and BP Wrigleyville. And uh, I'll just do a quick plug. They're all free. There's no paywall for any of these things. And they're all great. And the coverage has been wonderful. So if you're a fan of any of those teams or hate reading 
about those things. Like if you are a hate reader, you like hate reading. Yeah. You like hate reading. Yeah. Of those teams. Uh, go do it. They're great. Anyway, Nick Ashburn, uh, had a piece this weekend about, uh, the new extreme in Alex Rodriguez's game. Uh, and, uh, he sort of points out that Alex Rodriguez plate discipline stats this year are extremely similar to, uh, Adam Dunn's. And he focused on the, the whiffness of this, that A-Rod's contact rate has gotten crazy low, like Adam Dunlow, and that he thinks that uh, this is potentially troubling. And I, I think there's a good case for that. I will note, though, that there is another aspect to being like Adam Dunn, uh, which is that his plate discipline has gotten ridiculous this year. He, he, Alex Rodriguez has never been a, a particularly prolific walker. Uh, he walked a bunch when he was a superstar, but even by superstar nature uh, uh, standards, uh, he didn't walk a ton. He never led the league in walks. I think he only had 100 walks once, if I'm not mistaken, and uh, just wasn't that much of a walker. This year, he's currently leading the league in walks. But more than that, his swing rate is is dramatically different. So I'm going to give you a few numbers. So in 2012, which was his last semi-full year, he swung at 46% of pitches, which is about normal. So uh, it's a little, yeah, it's, oh, it's almost exactly the median, okay? He was 65th out of 123 qualifiers that year. So okay. he was basically a, a normal person. Um, this year, so that was 46%. This year he is swinging at 38%, 37.5%. That is like the like the sixth percentile mm-hmm. for swing. He's he 11th out of 177 with a minimum of 200 pitches. That's Wow, you and I both picked the same minimum. <laughs> it's a good what? minimum right now. That's weird. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so it goes like Brett Gardner and Ryan Hannigan and John Lucroy and Alex Rodriguez. He's like 11th, right? Like you said, very, very, very low. Um, and his swing rate on pitches outside the strike zone is also phenomenal. Uh, out of 177, he is 17th. Uh, he's been swinging at less than 20% of pitches outside the strike zone. It used to be 29%. So he's basically taking w- one out of three pitches that he was swinging at out of the zone, he is now taking. Like 130 is cut, well, he's cut by 50%. And uh, in the zone, he used to be at 64%. Uh, he is now at... Uh, 60%. So he has been almost as aggressive on pitches in the zone, which is kind of what you look for, right? You you sort of want to see a guy who is fairly aggressive in the zone or not too passive in the zone, uh, mm. but really good plate discipline outside the zone. A-Rod Selectively is, aggressive, as all the hitting coaches it, put it. And this is these are stats. These are the type of stats that we generally say stabilize very quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, the fastest thing that stabilizes are these plate discipline stats, swing rate, and things like that, right, as, as Russell Carlton has found. Like yep. within about 50 at-bats, you start mm-hmm. to get significant uh, stabilization. And so, I mean, we have been led to believe that for the most part, patience is not something that really develops very often in hitters. And you certainly wouldn't have expected it from A-Rod at this point in his career, and at, particularly at this point in his career, you wouldn't have expected to see this weird thing. And yet... Here we are. Like, he has become, uh, you know, he's almost become like Jose Bautista or something like that. He's, like, just become phenomenally patient. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love this development. 
and I want to know uh, whether you want to throw a bucket of cold water on there. Well, it's, I mean, one of the ways that hitters compensate for slower reaction time, I feel like, is is getting more selective, right? Like, I, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't see guys go from Carlos Gomez to, you know, Adam Dunn. Often they don't make that kind of transition, but you see, I mean, it's one of the things that tends to peak later, I think, relative to, you know, batting average or something. It's one of the ways that hitters compensate for not having the same reaction times. They've seen many, many millions of pitches, thousands of pitches, hundreds of thousands of pitches, and they know which ones to take maybe better than they did when they were 20. And they also maybe know that they can't hit as many as well. And so they are more judicious about which ones they swing at. But but yeah, it's not it's not extreme. It's not like everyone goes from what A-Rod's 11% career walk rate to his current 20% career walk or 20% walk rate. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. I guess you could say that it's compensating for something that he knows maybe that he can't hit those pitches outside the strike zone with the same authority that he once did, or he doesn't have the same mobility or flexibility. He can't reach them, something like that. And he is aware of his limitations and maybe this would stop working at some point. Like right now he is seeing a lower zone rate than his career zone rate, or at least the the zone rate that we have for him over the last several seasons, pitch effects wise. He is seeing fewer pitches in the strike zone than he has in the past. And maybe he will start to see more and more and the taking pitches won't work as well. And yet he's also clearly capable of hitting for power. He hit that like 470 foot. No, No? is that treading on the rest of your topic? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, Well, forget that he did that. Uh, He clearly (laughs) has some power left. So it's not like he is Luis Castillo or someone who can just, you know, is hoping to get to first base. He can clearly punish some mistakes. So it seems like it can't be a bad thing if he's, Taking lots of pitches that he can't hit and won't be strikes, that seems like a good thing. Yeah, the the reaction times thing is interesting because it, it would you would think if your reaction time was slower that you would have a sort of a worse swing rate, like you'd swing at more pitches out of the strike zone because you'd have to cheat mm. in order to catch up to them or maybe your eyes aren't as good or maybe you don't pick it up as fast as well. Uh, and so you you would think that slow reaction times would be something that would actually be very hard to compensate for because the skill that you need to compensate is the thing that you are trying to compensate for. It feels like you'd be doomed, but uh, maybe not. Uh, the other thing, though, is just that if if he were being more selective, I would expect to see a large drop on pitches in the zone as well because, I mean, you you kind of, no matter how good you are, you kind of don't ever want to swing at pitches outside the strike zone. Like, there's never really a a good game theory reason to swing at a pitch outside the strike zone. and Unless you're Pablo Sandoval and you hit those pitches just as well. Yeah, except for even Pablo Sandoval, the, the ball helps, you know, because walks are freebies. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you'd rather have the walk. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, that, but the problem is that it's, you know, generally hard to distinguish between pitches that are just outside the strike zone and just inside the strike zone. And so... Uh, you end up swinging at pitches that are just outside the strike zone. It's, you know, it, most guys, most hitters aren't that good at telling the difference. And the, the fact that A-Rod has managed to cut so many uh, wild swings 
out of his um, out of his out of his uh, plate appearances while s- staying the same in the strike zone. To me, it's like I it seems impossible that he has actually made that development. Like that just seems like you don't get that good all of a sudden at a thing that you had never demonstrated a particular ability to do. Well, uh, speaking of Barry Bonds, remember who A-Rod was training with during oh, his year in the wilderness? Yeah. Yeah. Wow, you could be. Yeah. I'm I'm call I'm going with that. <laughs> okay. I accept I accept this. Yes. Yeah, sure. You're right. Bonds All right. taught him. All right. And now your odds of his breaking the record are astronomical. Yeah. All right. Uh okay, so now let's speaking of uh, astronomical. Uh, Barry uh, Alex Rodriguez hit a ball that went a- into the cosmos, into mm-hmm. the Astros, into the whatever it is. What do you? Mm-hmm. I can't really make that segment. <laughs> he sent a ball into space. Yeah. All right. Still traveling. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Alex Rodriguez hit a ball 477 feet, um, and uh, Dan Rosenheck uh, wrote a piece for The Economist that looked at this particular swing to see whether uh, the simple fact of hitting one ball that far uh, is enough to quiet small sample size uh, concerns. And basically using the Bill James concept of the signature achievement, signature, what is the signature what? Significance. Signif- sig- say it again. Signature significance. Signature significance. We have talked about signature significance before. Uh, it is a concept that I like and struggle to name on command. <laughs> uh, but... Uh, I remember the first time I, I remember hearing about signature significance was that um, on BP there was a case made for Kyle Davies superstardom I believe because <laughs> he had like struck out 13 and walked nobody in a game yeah. and it was like is this a signature significance and I think he also had like a 71 pitch complete game I'm exaggerating and getting details wrong but uh, these are things I recall vaguely um, and so uh, so Dan looks at um, whether a 477-foot home run is a signature significance achievement. And uh, long story short, and we can make the the short story a little longer as we go, but long story short, I think Dan buys it, and basically his conclusion is that, I'm going to say, I'll I'll just finish his piece. The fact that Mr. Rodriguez propelled, Mr. Rodriguez, I love (laughs) the economist, the fact that Mr. Rodriguez, Mr. A-Rod, propelled a single baseball 477 feet means there's a very strong chance he is not the player we thought he was. Guys who are washed up just don't hit 477-foot homers, not even ones. Now, there's a lot more math behind this. There's also there's short math, there's short-form math, and long-form math. We can maybe get into both. But uh, I want to know, you you read this piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's, your, uh, what's your take on it? Um, you buy it? Yeah. I mean, he, he mentioned a couple guys who... Who was it? He mentioned uh, Vladimir Ballantin and Cameron Mabin, right? So occasionally there's there's one who's not exactly a superstar, although, as he pointed out, Ballantin went on to be a well, superstar in Japan. So you're referring to the short-form math, and the short-form math is that 15, uh, 22 players have hit a homer at least 477 feet over the past eight years, 15 all-stars, uh, and a, a whole bunch of star hitters, and basically, like, Mabin is the exception, and Ballantine is the exception, but mostly these guys are good. Now, I'm going to very quickly say that the short-form math uh, doesn't convince me, uh, because A-Rod hit one 477 feet, and he took 
all home runs that are over 477 feet. And this is the classic statistical trick that I hate. This is like the equivalent of X pitcher is 94-0 when he gets five or more runs of run support. Mm -hmm. But if you say five or fewer runs of run support, because he's gotten five, if you say Mm -hmm. five or fewer, now all of a sudden he's got a losing record. The implication is that you've just cleared the level where the significance has kicked in. And maybe 477 feet isn't the level. Maybe it's 460. And so if you look at 460-foot home runs uh, or more, like just last year, there were a whole grip of players who weren't very good who hit 460-foot home runs or more. I don't have that list. I used to have that list in front of me. Uh, But, okay, so some guys who hit 460 feet or more last year are like, you know, Ricky Weeks. And, um, you know, C.J. Crone and Will and Rosario and Oswaldo Garcia and Avisel Garcia. I mean, guys who are good, but not historical. And, you know, these guys are, you know, most of those guys that I just named are within 10 feet of an A-Rod home run on, on the downside. So I thought that picking 477 and declaring it magic, maybe 478 is magic, mm-hmm. right? Maybe A-Rod is just short of the magic. Now, there is better math later on, right? Yeah in which uh, he finds that, uh, I hope this comes across on a podcast, <laughs> buried within the noise was a significant, uh, powerful and highly statistically significant trend for each foot beyond the distance of a league average long ball, which is about 400 feet, uh, that any individual home run travels, an additional 0.06% of that batters other line drives and fly balls that season become home runs. So basically, uh, if you hit long home runs, it makes it more likely that the balls that you're, uh, that the other balls you hit are also home runs by only a very small amount, but adds up is, mm-hmm. is how this goes. I'm somewhat skeptical, maybe without uh, without having done any work to justify my skepticism, that this is a like a completely linear growth. Like I wouldn't think that a 401 foot home run is quite significant the way that like you know 400. Well, I mean, like mm-hmm. I would, think, and you know what I'm saying. So, but anyway, the work has been done. It's good. It seems like it's good work. Uh, and uh, and a rod certainly hit a ball a very long ways. And uh, I'm fine with it. I, I can buy it. I, I can accept it. But to the larger question, which both of these things are getting at, I think, is uh, do we look at A-Rod, what he's done in the first three weeks of this season, and treat it different than we would treat another hot first three weeks of the season? Uh, if uh, Danny Espinoza were doing this, I would not blink. Uh, if A-Rod is doing it, I am blinking. I mean, I am blinking frantically. You'd, I, blink, I, you'd blink if Espinosa hit a 477 shot, probably. I don't know. Honestly, like, until, well, I would now, more now that I've read Dan's piece. But, I, I mean, I remember the first thing I thought of when I, when I heard about this piece was Cameron Mabin. Like, I saw that <laughs> home run. It was 485 feet. Cameron Mabin sucks. Justin <laughs> Maxwell hit one 470-plus feet, mm-hmm. uh, and he sucks. I mean, that you have to be strong, I guess, but like a ton of guys are strong. Uh, but this piece convinced me more than I otherwise would have been. But, but I don't know. I just feel like with, with, with A-Rod, uh, I am, uh, there's, there's contradicting elements here. One is that he's very old, and mm-hmm. so that makes it less likely that he is the A-Rod of yore, even if I remember the A-Rod of yore is in there. Uh, but all the same, I do think that, I don't know, there's just something that's more convincing. Like, I feel like, there's a, I haven't checked this, but I would imagine, or I would, I would want A Rod's 90th percentile projection to have a greater 
variation from variance from his 50th percentile projection than I would a normal player because he's he's a rod. So mm-hmm. when I see this, I sort of uh, I don't buy it completely, but I'm much more willing to to entertain it. Uh-huh. In a rod's 90th percentile forecast, he. Hits 14 home runs. Oh, but that's yeah. only 372 plate appearances. He slugs uh, 479. Yeah. I mean, A-Rod is, is a difficult example to give for Pakoda because I think that after a couple of years of not being around, like Pakoda just didn't know what to do with mm-hmm. him. And, and most of A-Rod's Hall of Fame-level achievements are now more than five years ago. And so they're just going to be mostly a distant memory for Pakoda. Like, I don't think that, like, the 54 home run season of 2007 is not, I don't think it's in its memory at all anymore. Yeah. But it's in mine. I mean, that's the funny thing about Dakota is that I laud it for having a longer memory than me, but it be, that, there comes a point where now I have longer memory than it. Mm-hmm. Huh. A-Rod's top Dakota comp was Mike Schmidt, and Mike Schmidt, at age 39, hit... 203, 297, 372, and retired mid-year. Mid-year. Still played yeah. in the All-Star game, though. Yeah. Well, I'm enjoying it. And his, By the way, his, that you're right. That's The 14 homers in, is it. But his slash line in the 90th percentile is 288, 372, 479. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm just curious. That's that's a good line, right? I mean, that's yeah. a 314 true average. Knowing that's like a five, four and a half, five win player almost in a full season. In a full season, so that's the, that started the year as his ninetieth percentile projection. If you were doing projections by hand, and I gave you that slash line, what percentile projection would you put it out now? Having seen him for these three weeks, knowing about the plate discipline, knowing that it stabilizes extremely quickly, and knowing about the four hundred seventy-seven feet, which might stabilize before the ball even lands. Where do you put that on his uh, percentiles? Probably put it at 70. That's about what I was going to say, yeah. yeah. I mean, if there, was like, if there was like 66 on here, I would probably put it at 66. Yeah, because at least we know now that he is intact. He is capable of playing baseball for at least a few weeks. He has not broken down yet. There's no no worrisome sign about his durability. So that alone makes me more optimistic than I was coming into into the year. So, I don't know. I'm enjoying it. I probably, I was going to say that I buy it more than the typical 39-year-old player, but like if you're a 39-year-old player who is starting regularly, you were probably a really great player in your prime. So there really isn't such a thing as just kind of a mediocre guy who gets to 39 and is still playing full-time probably, or not often. But... I am enjoying it. I hope it continues. I buy it a little bit. Me too. Okay. See ya. All right. So send us some emails at podcast at baseballperspectus.com. We will get to them one day in the middle of this week. And support our sponsor, The Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription.